Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'll be joined by staff reporters Max Madden, Jack Harris, Mason Kern, and as always, site publisher Chris Cartman. Guys, how you doing today? Fan-freaking-tastic, Rob, as always. Yeah, Rob, I'm doing well this morning. Woke up a little earlier than I was uh, planning to, but uh, we're ready for this podcast. It's going to be a good time. Doing great, Rob. Thanks for asking. Mason had to get up at like 8 a.m. So. Yeah, wait. You knew we were doing the, the thing at 9, and you just, no, it's too early. Imagine that. <laughs> Real world is going to hit you hard, man, Mason. <laughs> Well, the the real world was pretty nice to ASU this past weekend. ASU hoops secured a Pac-12 sweep over Oregon State and Oregon. ASU over the Beavers, Oregon State 70-67. to ASU led by as many as 19 in that game, but some poor free-throw shooting opened the door for the Beavers to come back. And it was a one-point game with under a minute to go. Zylan Cheatham with a couple big dunks uh, to help ASU secure that victory. Ethan Thompson and Trey Stinkle really the only Beavers to show any real offense toward the end of the game the only two Beavers and double figures in that game. And then ASU defeated Oregon 78-64 in a game that was close in the first half, tied at 39 at half, but then second half was a completely different story. ASU goes on a 19-0 run uh, from about the eight-and-a-half-minute mark to the four-minute mark. Uh, when ASU was down 54-50, and that just changed the game, obviously, as any crazy run like that would. Um, but some things about that, this was Bobby Hurley's first win over Dana Altman. He was 0-5 previously, and ASU... Really showed out against the zone offensively, and Max wrote a really good piece uh, on our site about that. Just an extremely chippy, emotional game. Also, do you think a game like this kind of can be a breakthrough for a team like ASU? Yeah, I, I look at uh, both these games for ASU this weekend. Not, not their their best two games of the season. I think you know Colorado, Kansas, Mississippi State. They probably played better, um, but this. Maybe for the first time in the last two years, you, you walk away from a weekend, especially in Pac-12 play for ASU, thinking that's a sustainable way the Sun Devils can win. Uh, they shot the ball well, and they're not going to shoot it well all the time, especially from three as they did these past two games. But what they did on the defensive end um, with Remy Martin and Lou Dort on Thursday, really shutting down the Thompson brothers for Oregon State for most of that game until Ethan Thompson hit a couple threes late. Um, and then on Saturday, the way they they really disrupted Oregon's offense by denying the ball to Peyton Pritchard, um, by getting up in his face and, and, and not giving him space. You know, Remy Martin was coming out well beyond the three-point line uh, to put pressure on him in, in that second half. The, those are the kind of things – I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast, how ASU – a great rebounding team, but there's been times this year where you looked at them and you thought, well, maybe they're not as good defensively as they should be with the athletes they have. Um, they were that this weekend against two pretty tricky opponents. The Oregon schools are the – that's the toughest pair of traveling partners ASU is going to face this season. Um, so to be able to pull out those games and to be – you know, they weren't down big in either game. They were in control for most of it against Oregon State. Um, I mean, of the 80 minutes of basketball, like 70 of them were pretty good. That's those are the kind of performances they're going to need to string together uh, in, in the Pac-12 to, to keep winning. Um, and so the fact that they're able to get them coming off of probably their worst weekend of the year at the, the, the Bay Area schools last week, it's it's big. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, one of the main points 
I mean, to go off what Jack said, I think this was one of the most consistent stretches for this ASU team to be able to to handle an undefeated uh, in conference play Oregon State team uh, who comes in looking to continue that streak and go for. No, they they handle them. Granted, I mean, they kind of let it slip toward the end, find a way to pull it out, seventy to sixty-seven, um, and then Oregon coming in. I, I mean, they they looked in control for for. I mean, stretches in that game, and, and then obviously the 19-0 run really w- was probably one of the best runs they had this season just in terms of their defensive uh, just, just prowess and then on the offensive ev- offensive end, and everything was just clicking, it seemed. Um, Rob Edwards and Tayshawn Cherry really shot the ball well this weekend. Um, that's definitely going to help in terms of just ASU's offensive identity, being able to stretch the floor like that. But I think this weekend really just showed that, that if ASU can remain consistent throughout the rest of Pac-12 play, then they have a real chance to, to possibly win the conference. I think what we saw this week is a good amount of incremental improvements on both sides of the ball, Rob. Um, I think I think against Oregon State, obviously, the strong first half defensively, being able to uh, effectively guard Stephen Thompson Jr. and Ethan Thompson as well as uh, Trace Tinkle to a certain extent uh, during that game uh, worked really well for ASU. And then against Oregon, uh, you know, the, the perimeter defense was really strong. ASU was getting out and, uh, you know, making those those – Peyton Pritchard type shots uh, a lot more difficult uh, than they than they had been for the Ducks in the past, and I think that um, you know Tayshawn Cherry getting his confidence, being able to shoot the three, uh, you know, and get in a rhythm like that. Rob Edwards continued his hot streak. Uh, you know, Remy Martin was a pretty good facilitator this week. Uh, that not a lot of people have been talking about his uh, ability to pass the ball. So I think that uh, a lot of different things happened, and ASU improved in a lot of areas where it struggled: shot making, perimeter defense, and like Jack mentioned, that it represented a more sustainable way for this team to uh, to be better down the stretch. I think we've been trying to figure out what the identity of ASU's team was going to be, and they've said that it's going to be defensive focus. But as Jack said, they really haven't been that good on defense in a lot of games, uh, or at least for large stretches of games against better opponents. Uh, they showed it against uh, Colorado, I think, for a pretty good stretch. Uh, but then they went on the road, and I thought were pretty pretty mediocre in that regard at Cal and Stanford. Uh, the thing that we've kind of been waiting to see is how they would settle in against conference teams that play this slower style of grind you out defense with the zones and that that was a problem of course for ASU last season even though ASU was constructed a lot differently uh it's it seemed like it was still going to possibly be a problem this season and 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 may very well be because it's not a very good shooting ASU team and uh, a lot of these opponents are very content to just kind of packing in and let ASU shoot the ball. And the shot selection of ASU has been pretty average overall for the quality of shot makers that they have. So what I took from from ASU being able to win both of these games, uh, you know, besides the fact that it is the probably the toughest two-game home stand that they have on their schedule in the league, which is a big, big deal, uh, is maybe that they are figuring out that they can – handle some of these more methodical uh, types of games where you need to be smart in terms of how you you break down zones through the interior, the types of shot making that you make, the ability to sustain your effort on the defensive end and your good decision making on that side of the floor throughout the game. I thought it, it was a, a 
holistically much better defense that we saw. It was better post-area defense. The hedging of Romello White, especially against Oregon State on ball screens, was great. The closeouts to the three-point line were good. We saw Lou Gensdort and Remy Martin do a really good job defensively at times against Peyton Pritchard in the Oregon game, whether they were denying him from getting the ball or just kind of extending out on him when he had the ball. I think that he had much less of an impact on the latter two-thirds of the game than he did in that initial stretch, and uh, and that was really crucial. So if, if they can build on this, and again, we sort of thought like because of how young that they are and how many new moving parts that they have and also their uh, the fact that they had injuries – early on in the season and guys not all playing together. We kind of thought they would probably be getting better as the season was going on. But then there was a lot of questions about that in, you know, about a two or three week stretch there over the holidays. And then as they started the the PAC 12, you know, from Kansas through Oregon state and, uh, and maybe this is a sign that they're going to be able to sort of push through that and be the, the, the type of team give or take, that, that we, we expected. And in the spinoff, like when you get defense like that, if you look at the 19-0 run, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, they score 19 points in like four minutes because it's getting stops and then they can get out in transition and that's really where they're, where they're at their best. They can hang around in the half, you know, playing a half-court game. That's kind of what the first half was against Oregon where they were just making enough shots to stay in the game. But when they get those little stretches where they can be really good on the defensive end and really explosive in transition, that's what kind of separates this team that's where you see its athleticism at, at, at full scale um and those are the things that if you're not playing good defensively you can't really take it they weren't be, they weren't really taking advantage of their strengths even in the non-conference when they were beating mississippi state and kansas these two games even if they were a little bit less impressive on the face of it um they played to what they're best at and yeah. f- and i think free throw shooting was also a main thing especially in the oregon game um a- asu definitely improved in in that area i think it was 17 for for 21 or around that mark um so that i mean in, in those types after, of after after missing their first three of the game right yeah so uh, it's it, it was huge for asu especially down the stretch and throughout that 190 run to to hit their free throws get some confidence back from the stripe especially in preparation for going on the road to the la schools uh this upcoming week I think an important thing to note defensively that we didn't really touch on against Oregon State, that's a team that really holds the ball for the entirety of the shot clock. And the fact that ASU was able to defend consistently for 25 or so seconds really forced uh, the Thompson brothers and Oregon State to, to settle for suboptimal shots in that game. And both of those teams, Oregon State and Oregon, they, they use their defense to fuel their offense. They're not really great efficiency or potent offensive teams. Mm-hmm. Of course, Tinkle can get it going, and Oregon has a couple guys that can that can score the ball. But uh, the reality is that they like to lock you up, get the ball out in transition on bad shots, long caroms off the rim on you know threes and th- mm-hmm. and those types of things, uh, and and uh, make you take tough twos and stuff like that, and. They, those teams weren't really able to do that. Even I, I felt like watching the Oregon game, you know, in the first half especially, maybe even a little bit after the the, the half, that it was still going in, in the style that Oregon wanted, right. and that ASU wouldn't be able to put together something that would overcome that. It just, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Rob, uh, Bobby Hurley's teams have struggled with Dana Altman because of the 
three-quarter court pressures that, that slow down shot clock and, and tend to lead to bad shots and, um, and just the inability to just kind of break down what they're doing defensively. And ASU hasn't been the type of team that's been really well-suited to being able to do that. ASU, is, of course, mm-hmm. wants to run, wants to get out in transition, right. wants to make it a, a freer-flowing type of a game. They were able to do that it, almost by by flipping what Oregon does on its ear and and locking up Oregon mm-hmm. and then getting steals and some transition opportunities. Yeah. And, and I think, like, it, it almost – it just was very almost unsettling, I think, for Oregon, the way that that unfolded. And the, their players were really rattled um, at, what was it, like tw- they were shooting 21-point-something percent at one point in the second half. And they missed some open shots too. But, man, that was a that was a very good defensive performance by ASU. And, th- and that's what struck me the most about the entire weekend, really, was the defense. I mean, against Oregon State, it looked like the Beavers could hardly get passes together in, in a good set early on in the shot clock, getting any early offense going. And then against Oregon, it seemed like, even though Oregon, like you said, it felt like in the first half and a little bit into the second half that the game was still maybe going in the direction of the Ducks. But the way that ASU was defending, I think, really was an improvement on what we've seen. There weren't the easy shots that were just giving, that were getting led up by ASU that seemed to kind of break the back of the team and break the morale. And it led to, like what you're saying, Chris, it led to that offense that, I don't know, seems more sustainable than stuff we've seen from the Sun Devils when they're just trying to, it seems like, shoot their way out of problems. Well, they gave up that run, of course, as Max said, to Oregon State. And that's something that they've had a hard time with is just being really streaky throughout games where they'll go on big runs, but they'll give up equally big runs or or more. Uh, But if they can start to show that they can play over longer stretches of time with a higher level of focus – and uh, a, a, a willingness to be really smart with their decision making on the offensive end, then they do have a chance to to you know be among the top teams or maybe even win the, the Pac-12. And Chris mentioned it a bit a bit before, but I think Romello White's ability to hedge those ball screens was really important. Um, and maybe not a, not a, a thing that a lot of uh, fans can see immediately, but after the game, plenty of players were giving Romello White credit for what he what he was able to do. And just like you said, Rob, disrupting the offensive rhythm of those other teams, Oregon State, where they would set up a play, they wouldn't be able to get inside because Romello White was so good at that. Uh, you know, he might not get the blocks at Daquan Lake and, you know, those kind of like Zion Cheatham type plays, but if he can grow uh, even further, as Bobby Hurley mentioned, he's already grown a lot, that's going to be really big for ASU's defense. Well, Daquan Lake, I think, played one minute in the second half yeah. against Oregon, and that that's the reason. Everybody focuses so much on the offensive end of the floor and what a capability is. Of course, Romello White's played better of late, you know, scoring the ball quickly when he gets it in low or kicking it out and, and, and whatnot. But more so, it's what he does at, on the defensive side of the, of the floor uh, away from the basket that I think they're really uh, happy with. I think what was also – I mean, going off that, just – so at games, I'm shooting and, and on the baseline, Romello White has done an extremely good job off the ball just as well – as, as when he is getting the touches, because obviously we talked about this on the last podcast, that Cheatham and Lake and White are, are ASU's most efficient scorers, and I think this weekend ASU did a better job of getting those three more touches. So so I think that, that helped in terms of, of 
going on these runs. But we also haven't even really talked about just the highlights from from these games. I mean, Cheatham's dunk was pretty unreal. Uh, on that stretch, that 19-0 run against Oregon, I mean, Cheatham had that poster on Kenny Wooten. Lou had a had a really nice dunk in transition after after some steals. And and I just think that that all that momentum really helped ASU on that run, especially being at home. And this is going to be a, a good feeling to get get the home sweep to carry over uh, going to LA schools. And it seemed like ASU almost liked the chippiness and wanted to be in that style of a game. We know Tayshawn Cherry yeah. does. Yeah, I mean, we also we also saw Kamani Lawrence really come out of his shell. I think Chris yeah. tweeted it out. That was he's alive. Yeah, I mean that was. I mean after that, come on, he's alive. <laughs> After his dunk, I mean, he was really getting into it. And that's I, – I think you're right, Rob. I, I think the ASU – I mean, they're a young, definitely emotional team. And you can say the same thing, you know, about Bobby Hurley right. being really emotional. I think that, you know, for better or for worse, ASU really plays into that. Um, but on the same side, I think it can also be seen as beneficial. I definitely think that Cheatham's uh, dunk really got the team going. Uh, you know, Tayshawn Cherry was really talking as much trash as he usually does, and that usually leads to more three attempts. But – uh, ASU is so athletic, uh, and Bobby Hurley is obviously very passionate. I think that, it, that I mean, that might be sustainable, um, but it's just something to keep an eye on. These kind of chippy games. And if anybody was confused, Mason was shooting video. He yeah, wasn't, he wasn't living vicariously <laughs> from three. He wasn't. He wasn't living. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't living vicariously through Tayshawn Cherry. That, that's just a colloquial term. Tayshawn Cherry shoots. I shoot. Yeah, everybody go and very good. Go, go check good out Son of a Source highlights. You got. You can Ma- see Zylan's poster. From a different angle that, than a lot of people have seen it, and uh, very up close and personal, uh, some smack talking. We'll see all the expressions for sure. Yeah, yeah. So with a sweep now, ASU is at thirteen and five overall, four and two in the Pac-12, sitting at third in the standings, behind five and zero Washington and five and one Arizona. What was the importance of this sweep, and and what did it enable going forward? So coming into this weekend, I looked at the seven-game stretch ASU is embarking on now, where they play the Oregon schools, the LA schools, Arizona at home, Washington schools at home. Um, I figured ASU is probably going to need to win five of those if they're going to keep their at-large hopes alive. Because um, you're like in this stretch, you're playing all the teams you're probably going to finish around in the Pac-12. You're playing a lot of the teams that are going to finish in that top half of the Pac-12. And if ASU you know, loses games to the Oregon schools, or if they go and lose games to the LA schools, or, or lose to Arizona, I mean, it's going to be hard for them to finish in the top two, three of the conference, which is probably at least where you need to be to maintain at-large consideration. So and the fact you're able to – sorry, Mason. The fact you're able to start this stretch with a sweep over Oregon and Oregon State, it just gives you a little bit more breathing room now. If you can go to the L.A. schools, maybe get a split. Um, if you can split maybe the Washington-Arizona games at home, it's going to be a good stretch. And going off that, I mean, like Jack said, it, it was really important for ASU not to to split this weekend, especially being at home. Uh, so they, they get the all-important 2-0 home wins against the Oregon schools. And, and we have to remember, ASU under Bobby Hurley has not uh, swept a road series. And, and even since the Pac-10 turned to the Pac-12, they haven't split 
or they haven't swept a road series. So going to the LA schools, I think if they can build off this momentum and consistency from the, the this this home sweep and this home stand against the Oregon schools, if they can carry that over, beat a, a kind of down USC and UCLA team, uh, then then I think this is trending in the right direction for ASU to possibly keep their their at large bid hopes alive. Especially because I mean the team knows what they're playing for. Rob Edwards said I think it was after Oregon State that they know they they need to win every game at this point uh, if they want to keep their their March Madness hopes alive. Yeah, I think when you look at the schedule, um, you know, the, the the away trips that ASU has coming up, UCLA and USC, neither team is, you know, exceptional, but you still expect those to be dogfights and, you know, Definitely. probably a split. Uh, Colorado and Utah, also not great teams, but at elevation, ASU has struggled. Uh, and then at Oregon and at Oregon State and at Arizona to end the season, I think that when you have these games against pretty decent opponents, it's it's not only important to build confidence and, and understand that you can play this way defensively and offensively, but uh, you need to win these home series because the reality is that right. winning in the Pac-12, regardless of how good the conference is overall, is difficult to sustain. And with teams like Washington and Arizona looking pretty strong, um, you're going to have to either beat them or really, really – uh, clean up in your home game. So I think that was really important. The other thing is just looking at the strength of schedule within the conference. So Ken Palm does a good job with that. And ASU has the 10th tenth, uh, strength of schedule, so the third easiest strength of schedule uh, so far in the Pac-12. And it, it's not really a surprise, actually. The three top teams in the Pac-12 uh, through the first three weeks of the season are Washington, has the easiest strength of schedule, 5-0, and Arizona second easiest, 5-1, and and then ASU third easiest. Actually, Oregon State uh, is 4-2, and but, ha- but has the toughest, uh, having already played U- UCLA and USC, in addition to ASU and, and U of A. Um, but you can't, you can't lose home games – and expect to win the Pac-12. Like that's basically you, you, it, maybe you can lose one or two. After that, you you pretty much have no chance mm-hmm. because think about it. Like the average uh, uh, winning Pac-12 team is going to be 13 and five, give or take a game. Well, if you lose two at home, it, you're you're, right. you're it's just never. It gonna completely happen. changes the dynamic. That, that's that why happens. ASU losing an early home game in the Pac-12 was 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 a, a really bad loss but um as we said earlier getting Washington Washington State and Stanford Cal at home uh and Arizona I think ASU that's out of those five games ASU's going to probably need to win four of the five if it wants to win the Pac-12 and the, the teams like like Max I think said pretty well UCLA and USC they don't jump out at, on the page in terms of having uh, the type of talent that has shown so far in conference play, but there is talent there, and these are not games that I, I think that ASU will definitely be expected to win both of. Uh, UCLA has some dynamic guard play from Chris Wilkes and Jalen Hands. Wilkes is fourth in the Pac-12 in scoring with just over 17 points per game. Uh, Moses Brown averaging 11 and 9 rebounds a game. Um, this UCLA team has, has shown in spurts they can play well, but has struggled over the it seems like over the majority of their season, they're 10 and 8, as well as USC. USC swept both Bay Area schools, then got swept by the Oregon schools, and most recently beat UCLA. Um, Kevin Porter has been serving his indefinite suspension for, quote, conduct issues that the coach Andy Enfield spoke of recently. He's only played in four games this season, started one. 
and it's been kind of up and down for the roster of USC so far this season. What are some of your initial thoughts about both teams, guys? Um, a lot of talent, and it's not being utilized very well um, with both these teams. I think especially UCLA, um, you know, like Jalen Hands and, and Prince Ali and, and Moses Brown, like that's a team that should be at the top of the Pac-12. Right. And I think they were picked first to, to win the Pac-12. Is that right? Am I remembering right? Okay, well, they were, they were near the top, and they've had – I mean, that's why Steve Alford got fired. They've had, you know, one top 10 recruiting class or top 15 recruiting class after another, and yet they're the kind of team that has to have some miraculous comeback late in the game to beat Oregon and loses against a USC team that has less talent and is equally kind of up in the air and, and out of sorts as they are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if UCLA plays well, like they're a tough team, um, they can they can definitely beat ASU, um, but – you know, if you're the Sun Devils going into this weekend, you're facing two teams that if you play consistently, you should have a pretty good chance of winning, even on the road. So Oregon was picked, actually, in the Pac-12 preseason media Thank poll you. to win. UCLA was second, though. Gotcha, gotcha. Oregon had a bowl bowl. That's and right. he was yes. 20, 20, averaging 20 points and 8 rebounds a game before he got a foot injury that knocked him out for the season. It looked very sad on the sideline at ASU on Saturday. Very tall did. and sad. <laughs> he, does, he does use AirPods for those curious. Wow, thank you. Yeah, Thanks, Rob. Really, yeah, really, yeah. really, that's it's very important. That's the factoid you really needed for me today. Yeah, thank you. Oh, we yeah. missed your fun factoids, Rob. <laughs> uh, okay, getting back to UCLA and USC, I think Jack uh, nailed it. They're teams with a handful of, of really strong players, but uh, not really doing anything with it. They're 20 and 16 combined. If you look at their um, adjusted offensive and defensive, defensive efficiency per Ken Palm, they neither of them rank uh, top 60 in any of those categories. So... Uh, these are teams that can be streaky uh, and can be really good if they're playing together, but it's just kind of disjointed. They're like, like Rob said, Kevin Porter definitely, you know, hindered USC's potential, his situation rather. So, um, you know, you you can't really go in expecting ASU to beat both teams, even though they might be, you know, even though ASU might be better and and playing better, just because of the nature of the Pac-12 and winning on the road, and ASU struggles. But uh, they're they're teams that. Uh, you know, have a good good enough talent to at least you know beat ASU once. It's kind of going off both of what these guys are saying. I mean, both USC and UCLA I think uh, are just underperforming, uh, and they've played underwhelming basketball um, for the most part. Because because like both of these guys said, I mean, the talent is there. UCLA, I mean, they, Chris Wilkes and and Jalen Hands, one of the most dynamic backcourts probably in the Pac-12, and then USC. I mean, front court play Benny Boatwright is is a is a pretty standout player for them so but I think the talent level is definitely there just underperforming uh to, to the talent they actually have and with ASU going on the road I, I kind of agree with you Rob this these are not games that ASU is probably expected to win uh or sweep I should say mm-hmm. especially because it hasn't been done at ASU since the Pac-10 turned to the to the Pac-12 um so for ASU it's just going to be about keeping up the consistency from this homestand this past weekend and if Rob Edwards and Tayshawn Cherry can continue this kind of hot shooting streak that they're on then I think that that will definitely help propel the Sun Devils to possibly sweeping the LA schools this weekend and and Chris I'm curious what you think about this I think these games could be messier than the Oregon State Oregon games where there's just more loose basketball and I wonder how that could affect ASU uh in games that aren't as structured as it seemed like they were against Oregon State and Oregon? Well, actually, I think after UCLA fired Steve Alford and Murray Bartow became the interim coach, they've gone to more 
uh, zone defense, and they've kind of they've they've played a little bit more structured basketball on the defensive side. I think offensively, offered, you know, he 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 really they ran a motion and it wasn't very good, and it's kind of just uh, the, the efficiency wasn't there, and then they lost to Liberty by like 15 points, and he got fired on New Year's Eve day, I think. Um, but I look at UCLA as a team that is is definitely talented. They are also really young, though. Um, other than Prince Ali, it's all freshmen and sophomores throughout their roster, uh, which made it kind of weird in a way that they that Alfred had lost the team, just given that they were so young, but also maybe just um, just not being able to get them to do what, what what he wanted them to, especially on the defensive end of the floor, where I think they were poor. The zone really had a pretty good effect initially. They blew out Stanford, and that part of that was like the you know the emotional sort of um, energy after you fire right. a coach and get an interim coach. But then they they beat Cal by like 15 points. Uh, beat Oregon in overtime on the road. Uh, then they lost to Oregon State, didn't play particularly well, and then they really looked bad against USC. I mm-hmm. uh, watched a lot of that game. They were down like 20-some points uh, for a pretty good stretch. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, USC is also really talented, um, poorly coached, I got to be honest. Like, I just don't – I don't – I've said it from the beginning – of um, that tenure, I just don't think that they play to their overall talent level. Mm-hmm. But for ASU, you know, you just got to play one one game at a time. That's cliched, but I, I really don't anticipate a sweep. But if they get one out of LA, given the, the, the talent level being pretty equal between these teams, I would consider that to be a pretty good result. So I'm going to put you guys all on the spot right now. Um, let's go around, no explanation, just... Uh, what do you think ASU is gonna? Well, is that crazy to you, Jack? Oh, well, ask a question first. All right, we're gonna we're gonna go around with our predictions for this weekend. Is is that all right? Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna ask go. a, a tournament question. All right, Let's Jack, we'll start with you. I'm, I'm so on the spot. I didn't think you'd ask that. <laughs> Rob got triggered. Predictions for this weekend? <laughs> yeah, that was what Split. it was. With wait, who's lost to? You said no explanation, Rob. That's not an explanation. That's part of. What They'll beat USC, lose to UCLA, but they could they could sweep. But splits more likely. I'm going with that. That was what I was going to go with as well. Same. I'm going to go with the sweep this weekend. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I think ASU coming <laughs> off a consistent weekend. I think they I think they do it. I say lose to UCLA, rebound with a win over USC. Okay. Um, so before we end this. Uh, Pac-12 basketball. What's your pick? I, I said I, I have the same as Jack. Oh, I'm it. going with with the split where they lose UCLA and beat USC. And what? what are, we, can we just talk about the odds of ASU's tournament? I was just about to. Oh, great! Awesome. Um, uh, well, what do you guys think about ASU's odds to get in the tournament? We'll go over some of the net ratings and, and the Ken Palm and where ASU lies with the Pac-12. But what do you guys think about where ASU's at right now in terms of being about halfway into the season? Um, I mean, so, like, I look at the Pac-12, and I'm thinking, like, Washington probably on track to get an at-large, and then out of ASU and Arizona, you're probably going to get another at-large, maybe. Um, So I think two at-large bids at most are coming out of the league. So I'd say ASU's probably got – a 50% to a little less than a 50% chance right now. I think the biggest problem the Sun Devils have 
is they're ranked outside the top 70 in this new net yeah. evaluation tool. Which, 72. Yeah. So right now, like if you, there's way you can look at like what the RPI would be right now if it was still used. ASU would be 49 in the RPI. So what's happening is the net, which factors in some of these efficiency ratings and like Ken Palm kind of things, um, it doesn't like ASU, those stats, like ASU 60 and Ken Palm right now. Those are going to hurt the Sun Devils because look like in years past even the RPI which didn't get as much it wasn't it was taken less seriously over the last couple of years but if you were ranked outside the top 70 in RPI it was going to be really tough to make the tournament um, if possible at all so the fact that ASU's ranked outside the top 70 right now the fact that they don't really have a lot of good chances to go get you know big wins it's not like they go to Washington like at Arizona is probably going to be uh, their best chance to to yeah. stack on wins here that's tough. Now, they do have the best wins in the conferences. They have three quadrant one wins right now. Maybe Georgia can move back up later in the season and make it four quad one wins. Um, but I, that would be the thing I'd be most concerned about right now if you're an ASU fan because you're so far down in those rankings, and we don't really know a lot about them because they're in their first year. But moving up 15, 20 spots against a Pac-12 schedule might be tough. And there's not a lot of pl- opportunities to move up given yeah. the how weak the Pac-12 mm-hmm. is. And I think if you, Jack, you mentioned between ASU and Arizona, there's there's probably one at large bid between those two teams. Uh, Arizona is currently ranked 54th in those net ratings, which is almost 20 spots higher than ASU. And I think, I mean, if you expect maybe at best, if you're if you're looking positively for ASU to perform similarly to Arizona down the stretch, maybe split their games against them, uh, and and like I said, kind of equal performance the rest of the way. Then Arizona is gonna look is gonna look more attractive to the NCAA just given uh, their new evaluation system. So, I think Jack saying a little bit less than fifty percent is probably where I'm at. But they're gonna really need to, uh, you know, win more games than we think that they are capable of winning at the moment just to make up for not having a lot of strong chances. Maybe now Arizona and Washington, neither of those schools have like any good wins. Arizona's best was against a beat up Iowa State team um, in Maui. So that's the one thing ASU has on its resume that other teams don't. The Kansas win, the Mississippi State win, Utah State, um, which was enough last year to get them in. But they have more bad losses last year. They don't have the benefit of the RPI. So, yeah, it's it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was going next with this. I mean, at, at once ASU beat Kansas, I thought if they can sustain this level of play um, throughout conference, then it was probably a good bet that ASU might get an at-large bid uh, further down the road. But then they lose to, to Princeton, they lose to Utah, and, and things get bleak. They, they play well against Colorado, show signs of, of life, and then, and then go on the road and, and split again in losing to Stanford, which, which we talked about before. But if ASU can, and, we, and we've talked about this, if they can find a way to, to win games on the road, um, especially like Chris said, there's not a lot of opportunity to move up in the Pac-12 considering how poor the rest of the teams in the leagues did in non-conference play. Because like Jack said, the ASU has the best resume in terms of, of teams they beat in non-conference. And, and I think it's important to note, Note that because no matter how well ASU uh, performs or, or how poorly they perform, they have to play well because they, they don't have many opportunities to move up. Right. And if they lose uh, in, in the Pac-12 for the rest of the season, I mean, that is just look, going to look worse for them. So if they can find some, some ways to maybe actually sweep on the road, I think that's their best bet to, to possibly make the tournament. So here's why I think it's, it's less than 50%. Um, 
I agree with the analysis that's been given, but you have a good chance that uh, another team will win the the Pac-12 tournament other than Washington, Arizona, ASU. I could see, you know, somebody else winning. I could see somebody else. Uh, I could see, you know, Oregon doing something or USC or UCLA or, you know, who knows. But that that's one component of it. The other thing is that just given just how bad ASU is in the net ratings and, and, and a couple bad losses, um, there's just so little margin for error and, and this team has been, it just hasn't demonstrated the type of consistency that makes you think that there aren't going to be additional kind of, you know, losses. Now maybe they have turned the corner and we just don't know it. And we'll look back at this last week and say, Oh, that was when it happened. But, uh, ASU's only been 12 or 12 and six twice since 1990 in the Pac-12. Uh, Bill Frieder did that in the uh, the 94-95 team, which I think was maybe the um, the most talented ASU team until now. I think now this team is, is, is more so. And then uh, the James Harden, Jeff Pendergraft, Derek Glasser, I think they went 12-6 and six also. Um, uh, so it's going to take at least – that it's going to take that to get be off the bubble An 11 and seven team is still on the bubble in my opinion given the net ratings and all these other things so you know do you guys do you think that asu has basically eight more wins in the remaining schedule i think that's the question right you you got usc ucla arizona washington state washington at home you have uh at colorado and utah you have Stanford and Cal at home. You play at the Oregon schools, and you have Arizona again. Um, I don't know. That's a lot of wins. I would guess no. I I struggled to see them winning eight of those games. I think they can win eight. I like. I, I think that's very much in the realm of possibility. Um, I uh, eight, eight of I, twelve. Mm-hmm. Eight of twelve. Yeah. yeah. Got to play at the Oregon schools. Got to play Arizona twice. Got to play at USC, UCLA. The thing is, I gotta think you're going to need a lot of road success. Got to play do. at yeah. Boulder, Utah. You, you, you do, but I, I still think that there's just not very many teams in the Pac-12 that are that good. So it's like a lot of those games, ASU is going to be like a toss-up or a favorite in. Um, I'm not saying they will, but they certainly have the capability to. And I'd say I that, agree with that. And sure. I'd say that it's 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 plausible, if not. Uh, close to likely that they could do that. I think we'll have a better idea of that after this this upcoming weekend, especially because, like yeah. Chris said, we'll know if if possibly ASU turned a corner after sweeping the Oregon schools at home. If they continue that and have road success against the LA schools, then I definitely agree with Jack. I think it's in the realm of possibility and, and could very well happen that they win eight of those 12 games because they just have to show that consistency and, and the ball movement and everything has to be there. And if that and if they continue to play the way they played against the Oregon schools this weekend, I think that, that eight wins can definitely happen. I think the over-under for the rest of the conference wins for ASU should be set at about six and a half. That's where I see this team. So uh, you know, ten and a half overall with conference wins. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that um, – and that being said, that is obviously short uh, of the eight. And that would require – you know, even uh, six more conference wins to me is splitting the L.A. trip. Uh, winning two out of three against Arizona, Washington State, Washington, which would be a very strong result. 
um, splitting that uh, Colorado-Utah trip, sweeping Stanford and Cal at home. Uh, of course, ASU already lost to Stanford. And then, you know, winning one of an extremely tough stretch, in my opinion, at Oregon, at Oregon State, and at Arizona to end it. So if, if ASU is able to do that, I mean, that's six. If they can throw in winning, you know, sweeping a, a road trip at Colorado and at Utah, which, of course, ASU hasn't been able to do, and maybe taking two of three of that last stretch, which will be really difficult, I think that's what it's going to take for ASU. And I personally see that as uh, less than likely. Okay, so – Five more games at home. Let's just say ASU does a, does great and beats Washington, Arizona, and the other three opponents at home. That only gets you to nine wins. Okay, even in that scenario, it's not a given. The, that that gets you. To, you're four and two right now. If they win oh, the you're five, just counting all those home. Now let me let me yeah. let me just say then then you still to get to twelve wins, you have to win three games on the road: USC, UCLA, Colorado, Utah, Arizona. Oregon, Oregon State, three out of those seven. Yeah, but uh, th- that and I, that's I'm, with fi- that's five. Yeah, no, that's, you go four and one. You yeah, go four and one at home. You have to. Then you have to go. Then you have to win four of those seven on the road. You got to win on the road. Or, but again, I, that's what I, I think it's going to come down to. I, I think it's going to come down to can the Sun Devils win yeah, on the road? It and it I will, don't. And they don't like their road schedule. They're. I think they're a better put together team than the LA schools. They're definitely a better team objectively than Colorado and Utah. <clears throat> and they just swept the Oregon schools. I'm not saying it's going to be Colorado easy. Colorado and think, Utah are tough places to yeah, play. They are tough places to play, but but the, the teams in the Pac-12 are just, they're not good this season. Okay. Utah is not going to shoot what, probably is not going to shoot what they shot against ASU early in the season. I just think, I think, I think, your seven or eight wins is going to be the likely outcome. Well, for, for I love ASU seeing does. Jack like this. Get yeah. a little fired up. What, what did So Ken Palm predicts ASU to go 20 and 10, 11 and 7. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's, that's reasonable. But that's also very, very close to what I think everybody here had before the season started, right? Mm-hmm. What did, what did, do you guys remember exactly what you said? I think I said 20 wins. I think I said 21. I think I said 10 in the non-con, 11 in conference, 21. Uh, I believe I had 21. I think I had a little bit better non-conference performance. but So big picture, we're doing pretty good so far. <laughs> and we'll see uh, what ASU's odds are from Jack Harris and others after this uh, week's game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if they blow it this weekend, I'm going to have to back If they off. lose yeah. two? Yeah, if they lose two. They're in a bad. Yeah, no. Yeah. But, but I think it, like it's more like they could easily go and sweep. And then you're looking at, okay, it's it, – now you can really see how they go. In uh, uh, all right, Jack. Well, well, from the hardwood to the grass, the Herm Edwards Slow loves down. so much. Uh, ASU football is, uh, sets to hire uh, Fresno State assistant coach, defensive line coach, Jamar Kane, an experienced recruiter from Northern California. And Chris wrote in the sanctuary that he could provide more presence in that area that ASU really hasn't had so far in this first year of Herm Edwards. Uh, Chris, you reported in the sanctuary he was ASU's top target. What what can you add about what already you've reported? Right. So, um, guys, around forty years old. Um, he's got a very good background. He coached under Frank Solich for a year, who's a really great coach at Ohio's master's degree. Uh, he was at North Dakota State, which is uh, in the business is renowned for its uh, its evaluation process. And its ability to be early with with offers and, and targeting some of the best prospects around the country. Uh, so I think that's that he was there for three years uh, prior to going to Fresno State for two years, coaching under 
Jeff Tedford, very successful there. They won their division and they won the league last year, of course, beat ASU in the bowl game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got experience in, in different types of uh, defensive schemes, but is very, uh, very uh, well-versed in a lot of these attacking-style fronts. Uh, do a good job of getting getting players kind of seemingly very energized. That's a very common thing in the Mountain West, anyways. But I, I feel like he, I feel like just looking back at what he did with his groups at his previous stops, they kind of maximized mm-hmm. uh, um, their 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 capability. Um, everyone that I've talked to says that he's really ambitious and hungry and. Uh, looking forward to this next stage of his career. And then to the recruiting point, I think is important, Rob. Uh, there was a point in time, going back maybe 15, 20 years ago, when ASU had a pretty good presence in Sacramento and that Central Valley, uh, some East Bay, heading down all the way to Southern California and Fresno. And I think I think that that, that went missing for a long stretch. It really was uh, Jamie Christian, some ASU fans will remember who was uh, Dennis Erickson's nephew and some of the assistant coaches in that tenure early on that were active there and had some success. And then even prior to that, ASU had recruited some uh, especially defensive players from the Sacramento area. Uh, there's a, a good chance that Kane can get them back in with those types of guys uh, in, in a way that, that could yield some success. This current staff composition is really more built – for Southern California than Northern California, I think that was a, something that they realized as well. And so in an effort to sort of uh, expand their California territory, they felt like this was a, a, a good addition. I, I generally speaking like for ASU the idea of hiring coaches out of the Mountain West at the better schools. I think that that's, uh, that's a very good kind of feeder uh, operation. Uh, coaches tend to go with guys that they know really well. This wasn't somebody that just had a bunch of relationships on the staff. Uh, there, there, I'm sure were a couple, but more so. Uh, I mean, Dave, he was with Dave Christensen for a year at Wyoming, mm-hmm. and served as an interim uh, defensive coordinator. I think that was 2013. But more so, I think this is somebody that they identified f- in the way that I think it historically uh, has yielded dividends for ASU. And we'll have much more uh, going into football. Our spring uh, preview podcast will be coming out next week. We'll have premium and free podcasts with full breakdowns of, of each position group, daily updates on what's happening with the quarterback position uh, without Manny Wilkins and how the wide receiver group looks, as well as much, much more. What are you guys thinking about as ASU football is just two weeks away from spring practices? Well, Rob, there are obviously a ton of things to watch for in spring, the most important of which – uh, being the quarterback battle between guys like uh, Jaden Daniels and Joey Yon. And as we mentioned, maybe to a lesser extent, Ethan Long, as he looks more of a developmental uh, athlete kind of prospect. Uh, I think on also on the offensive side of the ball, there's a handful of wide receivers that you're looking at to, to make strong improvements. Frank Darby, uh, Brandon Ayuk obviously uh, came on later in the season. And I think defensively, you're looking for the linebackers to continue to improve and develop. And, uh, you know, the tail-in position seems to be, once again, uh, hotly contested. So there's a lot of stuff uh, to stay locked into the site for uh, come spring, and uh, I'm excited to get started. 
Yeah, definitely going to be really fun. Uh, it's going to be my first spring working for Source, so I'm definitely uh, really excited to get going. But uh, going to make you get up really early every day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to train myself. So that, that, that won't be a problem. But, yeah, I, I think it's going to, like Max said, going to be really interesting to see how that quarterback battle progresses, how Dylan Sterling Cole fits into that battle as well with the, the three newcomers. Um, and then I, I'm really interested to see that Tillman position. The ASU got a lot of uh, defensive backs in as uh, some recruits this year, and so that, that battle will be interesting. We'll see um, where Tyler Wiley fits in if he does get that sixth season of eligibility. But, yeah, spring is going to be really interesting, so stay locked into the site for, for all the info. I'm going to be interested to see how they manage a four-person QB competition. Um, if, 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 like, all these guys – like, how quickly they might start narrowing it down. Um because it's logistically challenging right. to have that many guys who really none of them are going to enter camp with a, with a real clear leg up. Um, I think, like Max said, Brandon Ayuk, how they use him will be interesting. Um, and then of uh, kind of defensively, um, Danny Gonzalez talked a lot about he's excited to get these guys who were freshmen last year into a spring campaign. Uh, so getting to see full practices and, and what he puts them through will be uh, – be interesting so the only newcomers that are going to be here in the spring are the three quarterbacks and then donovan west who's an offensive lineman so uh and then some guys that maybe end up heavily relied upon won't be able to participate like dj davidson he had uh surgery uh what, what did you hear his it was the usc week usc he, game he hurt himself yeah yeah usc game uh tyler wiley i think will be limited if anything coming back but um, we haven't found out about his sixth season of eligibility, but I think that will happen in the next week or so. Uh, I, I agree that Danny Gonzalez is going to try to put the pedal to the metal now with this group. He's going to be even more demanding. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be – he's going to really try to squeeze as much as he can uh, f transitioning to this young uh, uh, linebacker group and a, a couple defensive backs that have a year under their belt. And, and uh, then Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas try to get more out of them and, and – uh, the defensive line is going to be really kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Just a new coach in the second year. Uh, I I don't think it's it's going to be uh, a surprise if pretty early on in the spring it's looking like Dylan Sterling, Cole, Jaden Daniels, and Joey Yellen as the three guys that are getting a lot of the reps there. And a tidbit, Rob, uh, I've heard from program sources that Dylan Sterling Cole has had a tremendous uh, transition from bowl practices in the game to where he's at now. Uh, he's really worked on his health and fitness. He's lost 10 to 15 pounds. Uh, he's being very vocal in, in meetings, and he's been copious with his note-taking. And uh, a lot of uh, people feel like he's he's turned the corner. Uh, he had a lot of earlier first year second year issues with just uh coming with a, a a mentality that you need to have every single day in order to become a starting quarterback successfully at this level and there are some signs that maybe that's starting to emerge now he's going to have to actually do that through the spring and then through fall camp and all that but if he's able to do that and push uh, uh these these young talented quarterbacks i think that really bodes well for asu and then uh you know, we'll see what happens with uh, all these other offensive pieces that are out there that you guys have mentioned. I mean, that could make it really interesting, the quarterback battle, especially if Jordan, uh, Dylan Sterling Cole 
steps up because I feel like yeah. he, obviously he hasn't you know done a lot yet, and in his brief stint uh, as a starter, he he didn't show a ton. But I feel like when when you see his physical presence on the field, yes. I mean, he looks like an incredible athlete. And if he's able to drop that weight a little bit, get that right mentality, um, he's got a really strong arm that could make uh, this push uh, to start. Uh, at quarterback for ASU next season. He, really, really interesting. And if anybody remembers, um, Manny Wilkins missed a series against USC, and Dylan Sterling Cole comes out and throws like a 40-yard pass that was pretty much right on the money to Frank Darby that Darby couldn't hold on to. Um, he's got he's got all the weapons. Max just said it there as well. His it, tools are great. Yeah. He's got NFL measurables, and he has a big arm and, yeah. and a good release and all that stuff. The challenge for Sterling Cole is what what's between his ears in terms of just – his sharpness and whether or not he wants to to wants it bad enough. That's really what it comes down to. And we'll have more on all this, all this football discussion, many more months to come of that. We'll be out there at each spring practice. But right now, for staff reporters Jack Harris, Max Madden, Mason Kern, and as always, site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.